Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I'm here with a returning guest. Uh, If you'll go back in time to August 29th of this year, you will know that you have probably already heard the Reverend Father Dr. Keith Brown um, on the show, but he is back again. We're going to go and take a deeper dive into some special things. So let me remind you who he is. So he is a speaker, teacher, coach, author, priest, beach boy, and cisgender bisexual man. He is a husband to his loving wife, Candace, father to his biological adult son and his wife, and stepfather to his two adult stepchildren. For over 30 years, Keith has spoken to audiences around the U.S., taught classes for all ages, coached or mentored hundreds and hundreds of wonderful individuals, and published books of fiction and nonfiction. Keith's mission is to help LGBTQ plus Christians heal religious trauma, construct authentic and affirming faith, and develop healthy and happy relationships. So Keith, welcome back. Welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. Thank you, Midge. It's so good to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. So guys, if you want to hear about his coming out story, go back to the August 29th show, because today we're not going to take the time to do that, but we are going to talk about mental health and we're focusing on those who identify as bisexual. But you know, this time of year, we were just talking before we came on how difficult Thanksgiving might have been for some people and how the upcoming Christmas holidays may be for our community. So we're just going to look at mental health in general, but but we're also going to focus on the mental health needs of those who identify as bisexual. So Keith, take it away. <laughs> All right. Well, um, why don't we start with the bisexual first and then we'll end, if that's okay with you, Midge, with the more broad. Uh, understanding of mental health related to the holidays. Mm -hmm. And the reason this is important to me, obviously, is because of my own identity, but also because I have over the last 30 years attracted so many people that are bisexual, both in what I call the silver um, uh, arena, which are older adults, but also the millennials who um, are coming into this life of adulthood and um, trying to learn from those that are older things that we've learned along the way. But mm-hmm. the, what I have found, and and the research seems to indicate that bisexuals, more than any other group within the queer community, suffer with mental illness at a higher percentage mm-hmm. than, you know, pick any other category. And you might find this odd because you might think that maybe it's transgender or something like that. But yeah. Um, and, and although I'll do, you know, that's not to diminish anybody else's um, battle with this. It's just the studies seem to indicate that bisexuals suffered a higher level. So in that process, I began to just go back and think about this from my own perspective, both personally and as well as professionally, working with bisexuals for over 30 years. And I sort of wanted to think, why is that the case? Why are there so many, especially older bisexual folks, why are so many of them suffering deep mental illness, primarily depression? And um, I don't know how scientific it is, but based on what I know and what I've experienced, Mm -hmm. I've put together basically four reasons i think that's the case for older adults okay one of the things that i often hear when i talk to people who are older and and let's get a picture for this for just a moment because most of the people that i'm talking about right now are in in most cases a hetero presenting relationship Okay, so these are older people who came along in a time where we did not even know that the word bisexual was even a word. You were either um, straight or 
forgive me for this, but you were either straight or fag. Mm-hmm. That, that was the term. That, that, honestly, then, that that's was, what it was called. Yep. Exactly. So you didn't want to be one of them. So, right. you, you know, you, you must be straight. But many of my age and even older realized very young that they weren't straight. They had physical attractions to multiple um, genders, including most often their own. And yet we didn't have a label for it. We didn't have an understanding. And we didn't know there was other people that felt that way. So a lot of these people did what was expected of them. They went into a heterosexual presenting mm-hmm. relationship. Now, on the surface, you go like, well, that that's bad. But truthfully, most of these people, because they're bisexual, are truly attracted to their spouse, mm-hmm. uh, in this case, of an opposite or a different uh, gender. So that's not bad. They're attracted. They were in love with this person. It's all good. I mean, it was a healthy Thing. They, they they truly love this person and they married them. A lot of people now are getting to these ages like late 50s, 60s, even 70, and they are realizing that they are bisexual, especially now that this idea is so much more widely known. So when I've talked to these people, primarily behind closed doors, to be honest with you, because most of these folks are not out of the closet. Mm. And, and the reason for that is one word. And I'm going to use this word, even though they might say it a little bit differently. Um, the common idea is the word trapped. Say that again. Trapped, like a trap. Like oh, an trapped. Trap. Okay. Trapped. Okay. Um, and a lot of people feel this way because they feel that they are, or you might say stuck. They, they, mm-hmm. they, they're trapped in this experience that... They know who they are, but they can't do much about it, at least uh-huh. in their minds. Uh-huh. So what I did is I wrote, uh, this is how Keith's brain works. Uh, <laughs> made, uh, you know, I, 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 I never claim to be normal. Okay, but, um, You're normal at being you. So you just go with it, buddy. <laughs> I tell you, um, I have done a lot of teaching in my career. And one of the things that I have often done in my teaching is used acrostics. A lot of people, many times people label me the king of acrostics because if I could use an acrostic, I was going to. So (laughs) when I came up with these four reasons, I decided to use the word trap, T-R-A-P, vertically, and then came up with these four ideas of why I think a lot of senior adults are dealing with this issue. Okay. And so may I share those with you? Yes, please. Okay. The first is T. They feel that they can't talk with their spouse or talking to their spouse is impossible. Okay. So that's their first thing. And and remember that for a lot of these people, they have been in a hetero presenting relationship for 25, 30 years of marriage. They built families. They built a life together. They've had all of this stuff. They got these homes. They've got careers. They've got all this. And now they've realized, wait a minute, (laughs) I'm truly bisexual. Hmm. I still have this inside of me. And yet they feel like, I would say probably 90% of the ones that talk to me have told me, Keith, can't tell my spouse. Mm. So you can imagine the turmoil that one would go through when you mm-hmm. feel like you can't express to the most important person in your life mm-hmm. one of the most important aspects of yourself. Right. They are afraid that if they do that, they're going to jeopardize 25, 30 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. Their spouse, who's looked at them one way for their entire marriage, their whole relationship, is suddenly going to change. Mm-hmm. And the response might be negative. And a lot of them worry, worst case scenario, my spouse might end our marriage. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of these folks, that's the last thing they want. They love right. their spouse. Right. And they don't want to bring pain to the person that they've lived with and loved for that long either. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And studies show, now this is a misnomer when it comes to bisexual, but if you talk to bisexuals across the board in surveys and studies have done this, most bisexuals with them will themselves categorize themselves as 
monogamous. Oh, I think that's an important thing to remember. Mm-hmm. So to these people, they are faithful, monogamous, married individuals mm-hmm. who just grieve that they can't tell this about themselves to the person they love. And because of that, there's a part of them that almost feels like they're cheating on their spouse because they're keeping something secret from them. Mm-hmm. And so there's a great turmoil they go through mm-hmm. in respect to this. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons I think. The second, the R, is I think many of them regret the untried. Because if you remember, these are people that have been in a monogamous relationship for the most part. Now, there's always people, uh, Midge, as well, you know as well as I do, that are not faithful, right? Right. <laughs> and um, I, for one, do not condone non ethical non-monogamy. What people do in their relationship, that's up to them, between them, each other, and between God. That's not my call, my concern. Do you, whatever that is. If that's non, you know, if that's ethical non-monogamy, that's on you. But for a lot of people, they have never had the opportunity to experience what it would be like to be with this type of person that they've had an attraction to for their entire life. So for them, it's almost like an abstinence right? Mm, mm-hmm. It would be like the those um, non-affirming, b-sided homosexual folks who say, because I'm a believer, a Christian, and I don't believe it's okay to be gay, I'm going to be celibate my entire life. What that person has done has deprived themselves of a very important aspect of human experience and mm-hmm. nature. So the same can be said for an older bisexual who has spent their whole life in a monogamous relationship. They might be sort of regretting, or that regretting is a strong word. They might be a little bit um, mourning the fact that they never got a chance mm-hmm. to experience. And remember, for most of these people, which I throw myself in the in the ring here, the days of before us are a lot shorter than the days behind us. That's right. So that's right. It's very easy for us to get to this point in our lives and we go like, oh my gosh, you never, never going to do that. And I think for some of them, that's a reason that they feel distressed because they mm-hmm. feel like they missed out on something in their life. Mm-hmm. The, the A in trap, I believe, is an acceptance of the closeted life. Because mm-hmm. what most of these people have done and will choose to do. When I coach with bisexual people, I can tell you that when we talked about it and we've gone through the process and we've discussed who they are, a great number of those folks still decide on their own and in their own heart to not come out of the closet. Mm-hmm. We've done the work. They understand who they are, but they still believe this is the best decision for them. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if a person has to keep the lock closed on that closet door, mm-hmm. how traumatic it is. Mm-hmm. Because you remember back, you know, like for yourself, Mitch, when you were you were in the closet yourself, how mm-hmm. difficult that was, right? Right, right. Well, you just feel so, uh, and I like the word stuck that you were using earlier in as part of the trap, because even before I knew that I was gay... Yeah, there was that the unknowing part still had a little bit of awareness, I think. And that's why it felt so bad, because you knew something was off and you couldn't do anything about it because you didn't know. But if you're bisexual and you recognize that this is who I am Mm -hmm. and I've been in this relationship that long, the overwhelming desire to live in a full acceptance is really devastating when you can't do it so it's like when somebody says to you i love you but (laughs) you know and you you feel like you lived with the but your whole life because you haven't maybe come out to your spouse or you haven't come out to your family and there's always that they love me but if they only knew the other side Mm -hmm. and so you have this conditional you it's almost like you've set up your own conditional love because trying to protect your relationship and trying to protect yourself right and they see mm-hmm. and 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 here's the thing because older folks especially bisexuals who are living this closeted life which i think statistically is probably most bisexuals to be honest mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. 
I, I know they see like younger people. They're wearing, I, I say, you know, they're wearing the bracelets. They're wearing the lanyards with the rainbow mm-hmm. flag. People are wearing hats. They're wearing t-shirts with gay stuff on it. They're, you know, people are waving flags and they're doing all this stuff and they're celebrating who they are. And that's wonderful. I'm happy for those people. And yet these folks are going, I can't even do one little thing to express who I truly am. Mm-hmm. And they feel that they are trapped because they have lived a long life certain way. And you know, as well as I do, changing anything after a long period of time <laughs> is much more difficult than changing when you're, I know it's hard for a team to come out. I know it's hard for a millennial to come out. I get that many challenges. I know teens lose parents and all kinds mm-hmm, of stuff. Mm-hmm. All of us have challenges, but there are some very unique challenges to bisexuals who are in heterosexual normative facing mm-hmm. relationships and feel yep. like they can't come out. They can't yeah. express anything. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is why some of them feel trapped. Mm-hmm. And then let me quickly give you the last one and then we'll wherever you want before <laughs> I forget. I'm trying to remember my acrostic here in my brain. That's the way my brain works. So I've done the T, I've done the R, I've done the A, now I'll be the P. Yep. These older bisexuals are people pleasers exemplified. Uh, uh, they have been a certain person that their spouse has loved and expected them to be for a lifetime. They have been a person that their children have looked to them with respect, all hopefully respect, all and love, expecting that parent to be a certain way, to be a certain person. And this older bisexual adult wants like crazy for their children to continue to love them, to respect them, to look up to them, to see them as that big, strong adult parent that they had growing up. So older bisexuals have, I think, perfected how to be people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And now uh, they get in their later life and they realize that their mortality is approaching faster than it used (laughs) to be. These years, I don't know about you, Mitch, but by my age, I tell you what, these years go by really quickly, it seems now. Um. So I think as they at this time in their life approaches, they begin to think, you know, I've spent my whole life mm. trying to be what other people wanted me to be. Mm. And now it's too late for me to be who mm-hmm. I want to be. Mm. And so there's a great resignation to that. Mm-hmm. And all of that stuff together is why, in my opinion, many older bisexuals are dealing with mental illness so severely. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can see that because when you get to the resignation part, you've hit a plateau of I'm done. And even though you're still existing and you may love your spouse and you may not want to hurt your spouse, that's why you're still in the relationship. But their resignation is death to your human spirit. I mean, that's yes. that's a giving up kind of part that I just give up being the other part of me. And that's so sad, really. Fortunately, there are some people that have been able to negotiate that process. They've been able to lay foundation. Mm-hmm. They've been able to to lowly and carefully. And um, I am a proponent of selective outage. Uh, I think I may have mentioned that term to you before. <laughs> I believe this, and I believe it's extremely appropriate for older bisexuals. There's groundwork that needs to be made. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they can't come out to their spouse because I know their heart and I know that many of them will feel better if they do. But I think that they need to be careful how they do it. They need to be, they need to do the work. They need to think about these things. They need to ask questions. They need to set some type of foundational conversations with their spouse they need to lay this foundation before they spring it on them because you know just to go in cold turkey and and tell your spouse after 25 or 30 years i guess what i'm bisexual you talk about a bombshell right yeah right it's going to be devastating yeah and you have to be in a good place first because you have to work through your own mental 
thought process and your own depression mm-hmm. because you're going to be getting it from the other side. They, you know, it's like with, with all of our coming outs that we go through all of this trauma and all of this stuff. And then we're like, okay, I've got it. I'm okay with me. And then you like disclose it to a family member. And it's like, why are they having such a hard time? It's like, come on, they need to, they got to go through their whole loop too. You know? Yes. So, yes. You got to give them time to deal with it as well. And, yeah. and you've got to be prepared to stand in there and take their anger, take the frustration, take the pain because it's going to be coming because they've been on the, on the spouse's side, they've been deceived for 20, 30, 40 years. And, and that's how a lot of them are going to feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll not be able to see how much they were loved in all of that time. And that, that the secret was supposed to be how I loved you instead of, you know, and, and I was protecting you, but there, it, that's not how it's going to be seen in the beginning. There's no way it can be. But if they can get there, they will discover mm-hmm. what a great love this person had for them. Yes. To, yeah. To sacrifice this major aspect of their being. Mm-hmm. To be the person this person loved and wanted them to be and needed mm-hmm. them to be. Yeah. There's there's that's a good person. Mm-hmm. It's just a person that is struggling. Um mm-hmm. and thankfully I have had clients and I have talked to people who have done the work. They've come out and there have been, yes, there have been some cases where it it did not go well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm thankful to say that there are many cases. Where it does take work, it does take counseling most often mm-hmm. for this couple. Yeah. But many of them are able to survive. Yeah. Um, because there's so many misconceptions. And I think that once the spouse understands them, the truth, then they're more likely to come on board. Yeah. Yeah. We shall see. We shall see. <laughs> you know, I mean, but you can't, you can't. I mean, you have to understand how difficult of a decision this is for somebody, right? Yeah, sure. So, um, so if the person the that identifies as bisexual thinks, okay, I know I'm taking a hit on this. I I feel like I'm resigned. I, I'm definitely trapped because all of those words, those messages, send signals to your your mental health cycle that mm-hmm. you know you're going to be depressed. I mean those are depressing words and so when you identify as that you are going to feel depressed. How do you bring that person from that place of feeling trapped? If they choose not to come out to their spouse, what's the next step for them to be able to reclaim a happier existence? I think that you know as well as I do. The moment you that first time that you came out to someone and you told them who you truly were and they received that well and they affirmed you and they loved you, you remember the healing that that has on a person, right? I think it can be said also for this type of person. I think the fact that they, if they talk to someone and... (laughs) And they need to be very, very careful who they mm-hmm. pick. Mm-hmm. Look, don't go to a friend. Don't, I mean, don't do that. Don't mm-hmm. tell any other human on the earth other than a professional, ethical, bound, legal ethics person mm-hmm. that you are by before you tell your spouse. Mm-hmm. It's going to come back around that circle. I, it's going to bite you in the butt if you do. I'm telling you. Yep. I've seen it too many times. Oh, I can trust them. No, you can't. No. This is too juicy. You can't yep. trust them. Nope. Please, and even if they please. don't mean to tell it, it's going to slip. It's going to it, slip. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yep. But what I have found is like it, it, working with someone in either my pastoral role or in my coaching role. The fact that a person can work through this, can talk it out, can come to terms with who they are, can speak those words to another living human being, mm-hmm. a person who can affirm their feelings, can understand where they're coming from and help them see that they're okay. And they begin to own who they are. There is a healing that immediately takes mm-hmm. place in them. Mm-hmm. They have bottled this up. They've carried this fight alone. So the moment they're able to share it with a trusting person, they will get some 
comfort. They will get some mm -hmm. healing. Mm -hmm. Also, if they are, and Midge, you and I both come from this arena and we work in this arena with the Christian faith, yeah. a person who can then come to terms with their Christianity and bisexuality, mm -hmm. which is a whole nother conversation, <laughs> which we won't go into today. But yes, mm -hmm. like in my role, I want them to understand who they are as a person and their bisexual identity and help them work through the questions they have. And again, there's healing in that. There's a being able to look in the mirror and say, yes, I am who I am. And that's okay. Yeah. And then in my case, I often lead them um, in the spiritual aspect. Mm -hmm. They're standing before God. We've got to work mm -hmm. through that process as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So even if they never come out, just the fact that they are able to tell one person they can trust who can get, they can be confirmed mm -hmm. and get that positive response will mm -hmm. do wonders in their mm -hmm. life. Right. So, you know, the thing is, you know, to, and, and I love that you said this, that we have to be very careful and and find out who who the credentialed person is and what is their stance on homosexuality in general. And, you know, before you even break it down further, I mean, to know, are they affirming and appropriate for you? And and there are ways to to tease that out before you sit across from them in a chair. You know, there are mm -hmm. questions that can be asked. So make sure that you ask those questions and make sure that you find, I mean, you already know that, you know, Father Brown's here. And Midge. And Midge. So there's two. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have to, I have to be careful because, um, you know, I'm, I'm being a priest. I also have to be careful because there's, there's coaching, which is ethical, boundaries there and then there's obviously the confessional which yep. is a total different and and i have to be clear with my clients that this is not confessional um right. it's it's still bound by confidentiality yes. but it doesn't fall under the legal definition of the sacrament of confession right but yes it's it is confidentials and that's important you need that affirming person like you said you need a confidential person um and and they're out there whether it's a coach whether it's a therapist you know whatever the case may be I think it is helpful, but a lot of these people are lone rangers and they mm -hmm. will continue to operate this way. Yeah. I remember when the therapist that I started to work with to even figure out for myself if I was gay and she wanted to send me to the gay preacher. And I'm like, well, of course she's going to say it's okay. She's gay. That's, I mean, you know, so it's almost like we, we don't want to be affirmed by a gay person because we assume that, I mean, I could just hear my father say something about that. Well, of course they think it's okay. They're gay. Right. <laughs> and I said, what, do you, what else do you expect? What else do you expect? But for those who are listening, understand that those of us who are gay and we live a spiritual, faithful life or we've become ministers or, you know, priests, it's because we have we have looked at the evidence. We have we've pulled it apart. We've listened to people who have studied who are way smarter than us <laughs> and and we they've they figured it out and we've been able to understand why they figured it out. And even though, you know, I might not have done the exegesis myself, and I don't know Greek or Hebrew, those who do are very clear. I can't, you know, what I can't wait for is that 1946 documentary to hit the the airwaves. They're showing it now. And that's the documentary for those of you who don't know that the word homosexuality was not put in the Bible until 1946. And even when it was put into the Bible, it was a very controversial decision. And one of the, I think he was an intern that wrote a letter and documented his, his concerns that they chose the wrong word you know, because there were many choices they could have chosen and they chose the wrong word and created this whole division amongst Christians and, you know, people who were legitimately LGBTQIA plus. And, and it was just crazy. I mean, we didn't have the, the alphabet mafia back in 1946, but, but it's. Oh, and, and truthfully, yes, the word appeared in the English, in the NRSV in 1946, um, mm -hmm. the debates preceded that, but the the it didn't really come to the forefront until the moral majority and the mm -hmm. need for uh, money and power and things like that yep. but yep um and and i have done the hard work yes you have images. so um and you need to find his youtube channel 
because if you haven't found his YouTube channel talking about the LGBTQ community, you've missed out. And I'm going to tell you again, you need to find it because that's great hope right there, people. Great hope. <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate that. I, I hope that people will follow me. Um, but yeah, it, and, and you know, to be honest, um, I have studied with some of the greatest evangelical minds in the world as well. Mm -hmm. um, one of my, one of the professors I respect extremely well, he was a Harvard PhD, <laughs> and um, he was saved while he was going to Harvard. He became a Christian, he said, while he was going to Harvard of all places. But, um, you know, he, he and I would differ in the interpretation, mm -hmm. and, you know, he's a brilliant mind. You know, there's always room for debate, but to me, it comes down to what you really believe about God and mm -hmm. what type of God is God um, mm -hmm. to make someone this way. So, mm -hmm. you know, it it really comes down to the to you. You it comes down to your personhood, your spirit. That's where it's all got to come to. Because people can tell you this all day long, uh -huh. but it doesn't become real until you own it, and mm -hmm. that comes through your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. So. Thank you. Good luck. Good luck with that. It's 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 yeah. hard work. I know it is hard work. But the the beacon of light is that so many people have taken the journey and they've come out the other side. Whether they come out or not, they are able to come out to the other side with self acceptance and self love. And you know, depression is is a chemical issue, but it's also a socioeconomic issue. You know, it, it's it's based in so many different things. And whether you're gay or straight, the holidays are very mm -hmm. difficult for people. And and I think it's difficult because the Hallmark movies. <laughs> and, now, you're and, not going to pick on Hallmark. I you, love Mitch? Hallmark movies. I watch them every they're, year. It's so mysterious how they're going to end. I know, right? Somebody's was, with the wrong person and then somebody else comes along and they live happily. I mean, come on. Everyone. I know. It's predicted, but yet I get sucked in every year. This year, I'm very grateful, though, that I'm seeing biracial couples. I'm seeing a little bit of twists. Uh, it's not just the same thing. I'm seeing some gay people popping up in the background. Maybe they'll come to the foreground. I'm not sure. But um, so it's they're growing. They're trying to grow. But, but it is a really such pressure to live up to that you know the commercials and the the movies and all of those things and then you add in that you may be estranged from your family you may not be allowed to come home for the holidays you may have been told that you know you can't go to church or you know that you're not welcome there anymore so when you come out and you start to own the fact that you're gay and you do lose family members and you do get estranged from your spouse if you're bisexual and you decide to come out. And then there's all of that tug and pull over the holidays and how that's going to go. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how to take care of ourselves in the holiday season. Um, of course, every day we have to take care of ourselves, but it seems to be heightened during the, the time of, of this season. Would you agree with that? I do. And part of that is there's a grieving that happens because mm -hmm. for people within the queer community, grief is basically mourning what happened, but it's also mourning the future. Mm -hmm. And what people do is they remember like those childhood experiences and those family situations when they were growing up before they came out of the closet and how you know, hopefully it was more of a hallmark experience. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Not everybody, obviously, but a right. lot of people. Mm -hmm. And now they realize it forever changed and like you said a lot of people are strange there's a lot of young people that have been disowned by by family mm -hmm. that's why it's so important for the greater career community to reach out to others to make connection to build community and it's why it's so important for those within the community to not become isolated mm -hmm. they need to choose a new family if you will if they have been estranged right. from their family yes. that's critical especially during the holidays yeah. you need that you need that um circle you need that mm -hmm. that warm fuzzies you get when you're around people um mm -hmm. there are some people that have come out who will go into the holidays and they're not estranged in other words they're not not allowed to come um but there's always a tension that takes mm -hmm. place, right? Because it's easier not to go sometimes. Yeah, well, for, exactly. For a lot of people, you're like, well, you know, I'm checking out because this mm -hmm. is just easier for me. 
Mm-hmm. But if you do go, the word that must be critical in your vocabulary and in your use is the word boundaries. Mm. And that is, you understand how they feel. You understand what they think. But you have a right to say, I, I want to come. I want to be with family. I want to experience the holiday with you. But we're not going to talk about this. And sometimes, folks, that's the best you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just is. So you have to decide, is this acceptable to me? Can I live with this? Is this experience with the family important enough in the broader scheme of things that I can live with this? I can put up my boundary. I can go and we can talk about football, turkey, or <laughs> the cost of gas, but we can't talk about my sexual identity. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then, you know, it might be okay. I don't know. What do you think, Mitch? Well, I remember that when I, I was estranged from my family for a period of time after I came out, my father wouldn't speak to me. Um, it, they still wanted to be in relationship with me, I guess, because they never completely walked away. But I was an adult. I was living in my, on my own. Um, well, not my own, but I was living with, with my beloved. Um, so so they didn't have to kick me out. I was already out. Um, but when we did get together, we had to be very conscious that I couldn't reach over and just even touch my my beloved on the leg or uh, my father lost his mind one time. All I did, I was in conversation and I was talking about something we had done and I reached over and touched her and he flew up off that couch and said, don't you push that down my throat. I don't need to see that. And he just lost it. Now, partly we realized that we needed to stop giving alcohol <laughs> during the, because he, he was a, a, we didn't know he was a drinker when we were young because he hit it really well. But if we offered beer, which he expected, if he started drinking, those episodes got worse and he became extremely ugly. So we stopped having it even in the house. And we would say, oh, we forgot to go to the store or whatever um, and just not have it. And he was frumpy because he didn't have it, but he was less volatile without it. So we had to make a decision about that. But we had to be really careful about how we spoke to each other in front of them and how we our body language was around them. And for me at the time, I was willing to accommodate that. I wouldn't probably be as willing now. Um, and and now it doesn't have to be that way. My father has since passed. And, you know, now we're freer to do whatever we want to do at, at family gatherings when we do go. Um, but I think that that I love what you said about is it acceptable to me? Because you still get to choose and know that when you choose to go in and play by their rules, there is a there is a part of that that does attach back to you with a little shame or a little unworthiness. So be aware of that, and that will need to be cleaned up after the holidays if you decide. To, I mean, seriously, because you don't want you got to vacuum up some mess. Yes, you got to yes. vacuum up the mess after the holidays because it does start to mess with your belief system about your own validity and and your worthiness. So going in wide eyes open and understanding how this is going to affect your mental health, how it's going to affect the depression and have someone on standby. You know, when you say talk to a therapist, whoever that person is, um, make sure that you're available, they're available to you during the holidays. Um, or well, find- and if you're, if you're fully out, then it, it can be a good friend. I mean, yes, you know, yes. When I was talking about the therapist, that was someone that's still closeted. Yes. But if you're fully out, then you know, have those yes. I call them plat- platinum members. They those people that you know that are there at a moment's notice. Yes. To call. Yeah. Exactly. I'm glad you made that distinction because you're right. After that, it can be people that you trust just in general. Um, because you need somebody to to be able to decompress and just spill it. And those people are invaluable. If you don't have anyone around you because you may live in a very 
isolated area that doesn't that you haven't created those friendships join an online community you know join gay with the gay with god facebook group you know find other communities where we can be there for each other and if somebody messages me through the gay with god facebook group i'm gonna message you back you know i don't care if it's the holidays i'm gonna message you back so you know if you need people there are so many offerings out there of online communities that you can join. And that's how we stay connected. And that's how we support each other through these really difficult times. And that's what we need. We need people to stand with us and support us when our families can't do it. And the fact that you take ownership, even if you are setting a boundary, even at a little little bit in these gatherings, if you are proactively setting even minor boundaries, mm-hmm. that gives you a sense of accomplishment, a sense of, you know, success, so mm-hmm. to speak. So mm-hmm. it does help you feel a little bit better. you like, you know, they may not be all in with me, but at least I've set a boundary and they're by God going to live mm-hmm. up to it. Because if mm-hmm. they don't, I'm out of there. Mm-hmm. And that helps you feel a lot more empowered. Right. And so I think that helps you as well. Yeah. With with everything that we've talked about today, how is your mental health? Oh wow, you're gonna put me on the yeah. Why not? Um, <laughs> well, actually, you know, uh, with with the sexual identity stuff, it's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I was telling you earlier, um, I am still grieving. Um, I recently lost my father, who mm-hmm. I was very close to, mm-hmm. and um, I was telling you, Midge, that um, this was the first major holiday without my dad. Yeah. And it was also his birthday. So there's a lot of grief that goes with that. But mm-hmm. one of the things that I've noticed lately, Midge, with me, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I can relate so much to what I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. because of my age and being forced with the mortality of my dad has made me become a lot more aware of my own mortality. Mm-hmm. And so there is this drive within me to do more, be more experience more um that it's just been amped and i know that grief has partly driven that but it's also the realization that we have a very limited time mm-hmm. to live life and to make a difference so yeah. um, in that i'm optimistic mm-hmm. but i'm balancing that with grief so yeah you know. uh thank you for sharing that for the show because i believe that people be- think that because we get that we're gay and we're living out and we're proud and we're doing all these things for the community, that we still don't have the same feelings and the same struggles as other people. And and we are exactly the same as everyone who's listening to this podcast. We may be just a little bit further down the line than you are. You might not be coming out yet and yet, and we already are, but it doesn't take much to go back to that, to the beginning of that, you know, we're into an election uh, cycle again. We've got some confusing things that's happening. We don't know who's going to be leading the, the country in a couple of years. So, you know, it's all kind of ramping back up as to whether or not we're going to have our rights. Are we not going to have our rights? How's this going to all I'll do it. And so fear starts to creep in. Depression comes with fear because we feel helpless. So all of us need to check where our weak link is in ourselves. You know, where am I feeling fragile? Where am I feeling the the desperation? Because everything that that you've talked about, Keith, is the next step to feeling trapped and depressed is suicidal ideation. And the holidays are huge for that. And so I'm telling you guys now, if you go to the Gay With God, Gay With God podcast show page, there is a link for the Suicide Natural Hotline. And I know that if you want to do it, you're not going to look for the stupid lo- <laughs> telephone number. <laughs> but, you know, I You'll be that. surprised. I, I, Midge, I was, I, my first full-time job was in radio. Uh-huh. And I was working a night shift in radio. And I had somebody call the, the radio station talk to me. I was a teenager at the time. Oh right? my goodness. I was still in college. Guy calls me and says, I'm, I've had it. I'm checking out. I'm going to commit suicide. But before I go, will you play? I don't know if you've ever heard <laughs> the song one day at a time. 
Yeah. Um, I can't remember who sang it back then. He said, would you find this song and play it for me? So I'm looking through this whole radio station because there's big reels. You know, I didn't know one, one song in thousands. Where oh, is no. this song? So I'm sitting here trying to find this song. And all of a sudden, all out of my ear, I hear on the radio that song being played. <gasps> I didn't find it. I didn't play it. Oh. It played. And as soon as that song ended, I, I swear this is true. As soon as the song ended, this phone rang. I picked it up. It was that guy. And he says, you know what, buddy, I appreciate it. That's all I needed to hear. And I'm going to be okay. Wow. But he hung up. And I'm sitting here shaking. Yeah. Belief, right? Uh-huh. So you never know what kind of what a person will do when they're they're struggling and they need help. Yes. But if you see somebody that's been depressed and all of a sudden they seem happy as a as they can be, please be careful because yes. that is a that is a real sign that they have made a decision. So if yes. you have someone that you love, maybe he's in the queer community and they have been battling, they have been depressed, they have been down, and all of a sudden they've done a complete 180. Be on your guard. That's right. Look out for them because yeah. that is often yeah. a sign. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because that that that's absolutely true. And that was one of the things that when I was doing therapy at the private practice that we had to watch out for with our mostly depressed folks is that, you know, when they get to anger from depression to anger, that's when they have the motivation to do what they wanted to do in the beginning, but they were too depressed to do it. Um, but I want, I want the listeners to hear that even though there are people who will not reach out and they want to die and they choose to die. If you feel suicidal, the ideation is not what's going to kill you. The thought of wanting to die is not going to kill you. It's the action. It's the attempt. It's the gesture. So if you begin to feel suicidal, reach out to us, reach out to somebody and let, let us talk you through it. You know, let somebody help you because I can promise you, and I'm, I'm writing my memoir now, and it's been very hard because I've had to relive and connect my feelings to the disassociated midge that went through it. Now I'm feeling the feelings of it. And it's been really, really hard. But I know, based on this experience, that the desperation I felt in some of those things that you'll read about, hopefully one day, um, there was always another chapter there was always something else after and I kind of like the semicolon that people are putting because there's something after. So understand that at our lowest moment, that is not our last moment. And there's so many beautiful things and so many people that we come into contact with after that desperation moment that we need to stay here for. Hear us when we say <laughs> you will be okay Get the support you need in order to stick around for the better moments. And it's okay to ask for professional help, folks. I yes. mean, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of that. There's that that's used to be a long time ago, especially in the mm -hmm. Christian church. Mm -hmm. It would frowned upon. You were a weak Christian. That's mm -hmm. not the case. I live with a psychologist. I'm married to a psychologist. <laughs> I've got a built-in <laughs> therapist. So Yes, I was a therapist. My spouse was a therapist. <laughs> I'm now a coach and she's like, done. I'm doing something completely different. I know. Between my work and her work, our walks become therapy sessions. I know. Somebody said, isn't it great to be with the to both of you be therapists because you can process things out? I said, sometimes that's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes yeah. we just don't need to talk about it. <laughs> but we process everything to death. <laughs> Yes, I get it. Oh, oh, my goodness. So that's the truth of that. <laughs> oh, you are such a special guy. And I so love. See, this is one of those things, you know, that who knew that we would have connected with each other and and formed this friendship and this openness between each other. And I just love, love, love Two it. Carolinians. Two oh. North Carolinians. Yeah, even from the same city now, almost. I mean, not that I live there now, but you do. So <laughs> tag, you're it. <laughs> Okay. You can have my hometown. It's okay. <laughs> I don't want it. I came here for my wife. So it's not my hometown. I just live here for her right now. That's right. That's right. I live here for her too. Not for yours, mine. <laughs> oh, oh, so anything else on your heart that we need to say before we end no, for I, today? 
I've probably used all my man words for today. <laughs> man words. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh. Well, if if you don't have any other man words, then we'll <laughs> I, I need to find my little Just, I would love I would love for anybody to follow. Um if you want to find, if you want any, I mean, I've got some free stuff that Mike can help you. Um, I'm glad for you to grab any of it. It's at the initial J Keith Brown.com. And if you want to find me on social media, it's the P H E J Keith Brown. Somebody stole my name oh. on social media, but so um, just find me there, hook up with me, follow, you know, I'd love to connect with you. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I'll, I'll be a broken record. His, his YouTube. Is it LGBT, YouTube podcast? No, I thought it was, I thought you did YouTube videos of the clobber verses. Oh yeah. And, I've done a little bit of everything, Mitch. You really have. And so if you go to his website, <laughs> you can find <laughs> yeah. a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> You're going to find a lot of You're stuff. You're going to find yeah. a lot of stuff. And, and I, I really suggest that you do that because the, you know, this, the the content and the the uplifting videos i mean even if it's if even if you don't choose the ones that are the lgbtqi community ones there's so much wealth of information that you can get from that so i i commend that to you and uh and Thank let you your mean. holidays be filled with keith brown <laughs> <laughs> okay i might look like santa claus but i know i wish i know yeah if you want to see his picture go to the the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com and you can see his links and and everything so so seriously keith thank you so much for honoring us with your wisdom and your thoughts and i appreciate it so very much and listeners i want to thank you for coming back each week supporting sharing and subscribing we're really close to getting eight thousand downloads and i'm super psyched about that so keep on sharing keep on downloading if you feel inspired go write a review get us more visible and we'd love it if you are listening to this podcast and are questioning whether you can be gay and be in a relationship with the god of your understanding if you identify as LGBTQIA+, or maybe you're not even sure if you're gay, but God has always been within you, even when you didn't know it. You have always been gay with God. Check out our Facebook group, Gay With God, where we do a monthly Zoom group entitled My Faith Journey. And if you need support to help you through your coming out and or faith journey, go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how you can connect with me and go to that same website to see how you can connect with Keith. So thank you, everybody. Stay tuned to see how you can join the Gay With God community. And remember, you are loved. Bye, everybody. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.